Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. But if you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Hold music. You want to avoid it, and so do your customers. So say goodbye to hold music and hello to faster, smarter support with Salesforce. Make service more personal and agents more productive using built-in trusted AI. Then watch costs and wait times drop and satisfaction soar. Support customers in a whole new way with Service GPT. Learn how at salesforce.com slash service GPT. All right. Welcome back to the Casey Adams show. We have DJ Drama. We are here in Charlotte. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Of course, man. So I'm in Charlotte visiting the family. Right. I know you guys are on tour right now. Yeah. I just want to take it back. You know, okay. your story as a DJ. First off, how's tour going? Tour is amazing. Um, feels good to be back on the road. You know, I actually just went on a, a tour right before this uh, called Legends of the Streets, uh, which was me, Jeezy, Rick Ross, Fabulous, Two Chains, a little Kim, Trina. Definitely a different demo. Yeah. demographic than you know Wiz and Logic fans it was definitely dope because being on tour with Jeezy and watching 20,000 people react to his music yeah. you know and thinking about my beginnings and you know this music that you know he created and brought to me when I was living in the fourth ward in Atlanta and my busted up duplex you know what yeah. I'm saying and so for 17 18 years later you know, to watch the crowd, like, sing it word for word, like, as if it's a religion to them was insane. It would give me goosebumps every night, you know, just being on stage. And yep. fast forward and, you know, being back on the road with Wiz, we haven't been out since 2019. This is probably my sixth tour with Wiz. I've been okay. going out with him since 2014. And He has been at it for a minute. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the vibes are great. You know, the summer vibes, like, you know, just we're doing amphitheaters for the most part and so you know it's outside and kids like to just be on the lawn or just you know come for the experience yep. so and for me you know it's even doper like walking out in, in front of the crowd and like getting the type of response that I'm getting you know I'm, I'm 44 years old you know I've been DJing longer than some of these kids have been alive and like to walk out and hear them chant my name is like you know, I, I'm always, I always get to points of just like in my career where I just, I'm just so amazed of the things I've, I've accomplished. You know, Absolutely. I literally, you know, my goal when I first started DJing was to get my name on a flyer. Like, when, where did this journey start? Like, what was, when was the first time you're like, you know, I'm gonna, I want to be a DJ. This is what I want to do. And what was that transition? Because you know, I've had a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, different business people, musicians. Uh, but your story is so unique and I feel just watching you over the past couple of years with the talent you sign and how you move, it's just so cool to see it. And now obviously getting to know you and dive into it. Thank you. I like, what was the inspiration to start out as a DJ? And then, you know, after you answer that, what was the transition of signing talent and being able to see talent before someone may see it in themselves? Thanks, man. Thanks for that. The journey really started when I was about 13, you know, I was, you know, going from eighth grade to ninth grade. I was really into skateboarding. 
And that was like my the hobby of choice at the time. I used to go down to like Love Park and skate. And around the time, there was a group of like black skateboarders. I was kind of like, we were all kind of like, you know, young black kids skating when a time when like skateboarding was still known as like, you know, a white sport in a sense. I was always the worst one. And they used to always fucking laugh at me and crack jokes on me because I couldn't barely land a kickflip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I went to go see the movie Juice between eighth and ninth grade. It came out in the theaters. Uh, classic movie, Omar Epps, uh, Tupac, rest in peace. And that was the first time I had seen a DJ on the big screen, you know, like really watching a DJ, like cut and scratch and make a demo tape and, and you know, like go into a DJ battle. And I just was like, man, that's what I want to do, you know? And I was already a kid, you know, born into hip hop. And I, I used to listen to all types of music too. Like I had a little like heavy metal stage, a little rock stage, but you know, I grew up, you know, with Run DMC, with KRS-One, with Big Daddy Kane, watching yep. them on the box and stuff. So I convinced my mom, after I saw Juice going into ninth grade, I convinced my mom to buy me a, a turntable and a mixer. Thankfully she did. <laughs> and I would literally, she would give me like $5 every day for lunch money. I wouldn't buy lunch. I would go downtown downtown Philly, there was stores called Funko Mart, uh, Sounds of Market, and Armin's, and I would buy records, and that's kind of how I, like, started wow. my record collection, you know, with lunch money, and, yeah, like, again, you know, I was, I was in high school, I was, like, I did my first party for a friend of mine named Ari, I think he paid me, like, $40, I had, like, one crate of records, and I did my best for his birthday party and you know my goal was like I when I used to go after school the subway stop was um broad and eerie near my high school and that's when people used to pass out all the flyers for like all the parties and I was like man I just want to get my name on a flyer like gotta get my yeah. name on a flyer you know like that was my goal so I've always said like you know everything past that has been extra you know <laughs> what I'm saying like that was literally my first goal yeah as a DJ my sister took me to New York the summer after and I bought my first mixtape in Harlem on 125th Street. It was DJ SNS Old School Part 2. And that literally started my fascination with mixtapes and mixtape DJs. Yep. And I was hooked. You know, there's very there's a lot of branches of DJing. There's battle DJs, there's radio DJs, there's party DJs, there's mixtape DJs. And I used to study it all, but it was always something about the mixtape DJ that was so much like larger than life to me. Like Absolutely. listening to a clue tape and like being ahead of the curve with the music or like even later on with, with who kid and green lantern and like the type, like who kid was literally like making these eight page fold outs of his CDs and they were like albums. And, you know, I was just like totally blown away and I had moved to Atlanta to go to college and I became a college DJ for the most part. And I met my business partners and my friends, DJ sense, yep. Don Cannon, Lake show. We all went to school around the same time. So, you know, we clicked up and we were, you know, literally splitting $150 or $300 to do parties together. Fast forward some years later, once I got out of school, you know, I never got a quote unquote real job. And I just was kind of like hustling my mixtapes and, you know, doing clubs and doing gigs. And that was really when I started Gangsta Grills. And, you know, one of the first artists to ever reach out to me or give me a phone call was T.I.'s manager, Jason Jeter. 
And he literally got my number from the off the back of a CD. And no way. Off the back of a CD. The first <laughs> oh phone call God. I ever got for somebody <laughs> to come freestyle on one of my tapes. Wow. Was T.I. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's and, crazy. You know, I think about all the people that are in my DMs now or call me or reach out to me. And it's like, imagine if I would have turned that phone call down. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, um, you know, I Gangsta Grills, I started it. You know, it went from a compilation of songs to just being like the hottest you know, brand in mixtapes, you know, yeah. in the South, it literally changed hip hop, you know, 100%. I mean, Gangsta Grills is arguably the most important hip hop mixtape brand ever. You know what I'm saying? I think there, there can be conversations based upon who the greatest mixtape DJ is. I definitely am in the runnings and contentions for that guy. But uh, beyond absolutely. that, when it comes to mixtape brands, nothing touches Gangsta Grills. So, you know, in a sense, I've been doing A&R work or been like breaking artists yeah. for 15 to 20 years already just with Gangsta Grills and creating that platform. I got my first deal at Atlantic Records through Grand Hustle. I did two albums there. Yep. I wound up leaving Atlantic, going to E1. I did three albums there. The opportunity presented itself for me to become an A&R back at Atlantic around like 2013. Around this time, I was also building my studio, Mean Street Studios, when I went to go meet with the powers that be, Julie Greenwald, Michael Kaiser, and Craig Kalman, I told them, hey, listen, I also have this studio you guys might want to partner on with me. So they agreed. So they came and, you know, they helped me build out Mean Streets as what I had already started building from it. And then Cannon comes back one day and says, hey, Little Uzi. I was going to ask that. How did you meet Lil Uzi? And so basically there were a couple of artists that we had the opportunity to sign beforehand that didn't work out you know so me cannon and lake at the time were like listen we're not missing no more artists yeah so cannon came back to atlanta one day he had had a gig in atlantic city he was driving through listening to the radio he heard dj diamond cuts playing uzi he called the yep. station she answered he said who's that she said this is the artist i'm working with little uzi he came back to atlanta i remember being in a radio room and him like yo i heard this kid named little uzi and I was just like, let's do it. Like, <laughs> didn't hear no music, didn't wow. hear nothing. I just, you know, I had faith and trust in my man, my brother, yeah. my business partner, as well as like just, you know, listen, let's, like, we don't want to miss anymore. So, yep. so I was what does that look like though? So you take a bet on Uzi back then. Like what's the, the game plan, right? When it comes to breaking an artist and what was that journey like with him going from, you know, just someone you heard to then being one of the biggest artists in the world? I always knew that he had it in him. I mean, from the from the first moments that we met, we got in business together, you know, he would say stuff to me like, John, I'm going to be more famous than you. <laughs> and I used to be like, well, I, should I hope so? If not, I, I didn't do my job. So, you know, when we signed Uzi, we had also signed a couple of other artists at the time. And, you know, it's it's a it's a it's it's a it's a game of dice, you know, like as much as you want to say, you know, like you never know. Like, Absolutely. you know, we knew Uzi had talent and that he was dope. But would I know that we would be sitting here talking about him being one of the goats of his generation or, you know, being one of the biggest stream artists ever. Like, yeah. absolutely you can't not. Predict you, that. you never can predict that. So <laughs> I was literally about to get fired from Atlantic. I was two years into my deal. They were looking wow. like, why are we paying this man all this money? And why have we spent so much money on the studio and what has come from it? Craig Kalman, you know, took a trip to Atlanta, sat down in the studio with me and said, listen, I believe in you. We're going to stay partners in Mean Streets. And we're just going to let you take Uzi and focus on Uzi. And then, you know, even when we used to go to our A&R meetings, I remember them telling us, like, hey, listen, 
you got to get this guy hot in his backyard. He's from Philly. You got to get him hot in Philly. Yeah. And I'd be like, listen, y'all, it's not 96 no more. Like that used to be the way an artist would break. You'd have to get yeah. hot where you are and start branching out. And whether it's Atlanta or, or New York, Philly, LA, you'd be the man in your city. Then you'd be the man in your state. Then you'd be the man in, in that area. Then yeah. you go and the whole country knows about you in the whole world. We were in a different day and age. You know what I'm saying? Social media. Yeah, J. Colden, J. Colden breaking Fayetteville. Yeah. Drake didn't necessarily break in Toronto. Wiz didn't necessarily break in Pittsburgh. You know, these guys had fans over the internet. Yeah. so They were doing it like smoking on MySpace back in the day. Yeah, when and it was, it was like... Brand new. And then, they would, <laughs> and then they would double back and become the man in their city. So yeah. that was kind of the same formula we, we used with Vert. Like, you know, he lived in Atlanta. One of his first big looks was uh, on a young thug project i brought him on tour with me with wiz i, I literally put him in front of fifteen thousand every night we were doing the wiz and fallout boy tour yeah so you know i was actually at a show in 2019 i think it was or no, no this, this was before oh, this is 2015 okay this is a long time ago 2019 i brought jack out on on my tour and did the same type no of way. blueprint yeah it's same wow thing. how would you and jack meet so a friend of mine mentioned him to me in like 2017 I went to his Instagram page. He had like 7,000 followers. I saw him performing in front of an audience. And then I went and I pushed the, the follow button. And I remember my homeboy being like, yo, don't follow him. Like, he's going to see it. And <laughs> he he literally followed me right back. Yeah, he's he, on it. <laughs> he wound up telling me later, like, yo, I, I think I'm going to sign the drum. KY, an engineer who's worked with Lil Wayne, who's worked with Meek Mill, who's done a lot of my projects, being from Kentucky, was also working with uh, Jack at the time, and he told my partner Lake about, like, listen, I got something I want to bring to you guys. Jack wound up finding his way to Mean Streets one day. We met for the first time. We vibed. We kicked it. He asked me what I was into. You know, I was like, man, I just sit home and watch movies all day. And we started talking about movies, and there's this movie called E2 Ma Tambien. I don't know how it, how it came up, but it came up, and Jack was so amazed that I had seen that movie. <laughs> And it just, I think it really impressed him. And, you know, we had a meeting with the team and Jack and he wound up, you know, dropping Dark Knight around like right before we had made the final decision to sign him. Okay. And Dark Knight started getting buzzed and we were like, yo, we got to do it before we miss it. You know, and literally like Jack looked like Napoleon Dynamite when <laughs> I signed him, you know, and the yeah. same way. You see they, those pictures now. It's like they, they're yeah. like back 2017, 2019. You that's the that's the Jack you sign that's the Jack you believed in which I think is so cool like betting on the horse right that's the Jack I took this way in the morning you yeah know, and, put, and and put him on it what, a what was platform. it about Jack outside of his music that you were betting on just him as a person again he's somebody that I I could tell he had a vision like he had his goals like. Jack was going to be here regardless, you yeah. know. I think the fact that him signing to Generation Now, him being able to stand on the shoulders of DJ Drama and Don Cannon, you know, the guy that's responsible for fucking Gangster Grills and the careers of Jeezy and Wayne and T.I. and yeah. Meek and Fab and, you know, all, all this part of hip-hop, it, it, it gave him a good cosign, especially coming in the game as a white rapper, you yeah. know what I mean, to, you know. doesn't happen like that for, at, at such a big scale. Like you don't see that often. Right. Just to, to, to know the stardom that he has now in the, you know, past couple of years. Right. It, it's so cool to see. That's like one of a kind. And it's about trusting the process, you yeah. know. Jack has a record called River Road. That's one of my favorites. That's a fan favorite where he, he literally talks about it 
on the record about like you know getting that frustration of like why isn't it my time yet like yeah when is it gonna come you know what i mean and it's very introspective and it's how a lot of artists feel a lot of times and especially you know even in churchill downs where he says like the label used to wonder how i was gonna stand next to vert you know what i'm saying like here we have this superstar rock star artist and then we sign a jack harlow you know again who people are looking even the label was looking like i don't know about the white guy you know so to have done it once with Uzi and to have done it again with Jack it's like okay you know it brought a lot of validity to us I always feel like we're as generation now and myself I've always been kind of the underdog in my career and which I love you know I love I love I love the challenge I love the I love the drive of it so you know it was like okay you know they kind of make a hove go make another hove and you know with all due respect to both Jack and Uzi are totally in their own lanes you know for us it was like yeah like we're those guys we've been them guys yeah we told y'all we it wasn't a fluke you know what i'm saying and i I want to talk about that like you've you've done it not only more than once but you've done it consistently over decades whether that's breaking yourself breaking new artists if you had to point to not only a formula but just you know the the track record how does an, a young artist as maybe listening to this today, like what do you recommend they do? You know, for, you know, Jack popped up on your radar back in 2017. Like how do you recommend an artist break today to get to the point where they can start working with, you know, more experienced players in the industry? I mean, the thing is, there's really no handbook. There's not a handbook to this thing. You know, I just love drive and passion for me. It's like, it's going to be part of history that a kid from Philly moves to Atlanta and changes the mixtape game not only for the south but overall and you know goes to jail for mixtapes and becomes this martyr like i i I always i was gonna be here anyway you know (laughs) but it's part of the story that you know so i'm so thankful that i didn't go to school in new york or la I, i wound up in atlanta and you know, living around the corner from Coach K who managed Young Jeezy, like, you know, these things are destiny. Like, if you look at, like, Drake and Wayne or yep. Ye and Hove or things of that nature or us and Vert and us and Jack, like, 100%. you know, just to new artists, man, it's like, you know, first of all, like, I always believe in being a student of the game. So you study your craft, you know what I'm saying? Like, ins and out. It's, you know, there's no school for music tech. I mean, there are, but, you know, there's, like, it's not like when you go become a doctor, you have to pass this or being a lawyer, you have to pass the bar. So it's like, you got to, it's kind of on your own to like do your own come up or, you know, find your own path, find your own path, like put your own music out. You know, I mean, you know, literally you can put your own music out on your own DSPs now, but you're also competing with a hundred thousand other songs that come out every day. So it's like, how do you get someone to pay attention? So, you know, with social media, you everyone's easily accessible. You know, they're a DM away. Yeah, this is how we got this podcast. And it it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna work, but it's nothing wrong with trying that. It's nothing wrong with I mean I'll say like I've done four hundred interviews and I think three hundred and eighty have done have come from a DM. Right, like you're speaking that language. Just (laughs) just in that you know I mean listen, I get a lot of DMs from a lot of artists and I I don't I can't reply to everybody. I don't reply to everybody, you know, but I'm at a different point in my career. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, one thing I like to tell artists a lot of times is like, don't try to go big all the time. You know what I mean? You don't have to go to a DJ drama or the upper echelon. Like when I came up, like Jeezy wasn't the man yet. Like Tip was 
we were grinding together. Like yep. it was to come up that. together. You feel what I'm saying? So, you know, look around your, your, your circle and my business partners are my friends from college. You know what I'm saying? That. Like, so it's like, before you try to go big, like come up with those guys around you. Like yep. same, like with the baby and Jetson, you know what I'm saying? Those are, those are guys from Carolina that made a sound and, you know, came up together. So, you know, before you try to reach out to the big boys, you don't necessarily have to like, you know, your, your manager or your, your producer, or, you know, look at, look at Noah and, and Drake's relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and Drake literally put himself in the, you know, everybody has a story of, I almost signed Drake. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah, from yeah, this yeah. person and that person to this person, you know, but Drake's manager is, is future. The Prince. That was his DJ. No different than LeBron with Maverick and um, Rich Paul. Those are his. Those are his homeboys from yep. you know back in Ohio. You know what I'm saying? So, Absolutely. you know, it's about creating your own movement. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and I would suggest that before you try to necessarily reach out to someone like yourself or someone like myself, when you know they know we get a thousand DMs, DMs requests, a, a, yeah, a day. Hard. Like the people that you might be able to make history with might be around the corner from you. Yeah. I love that. Well, two more quick questions before we wrap up DJ drama. One is what does success mean to you? Like when you, you know, you've done so much of the past couple of decades, you've signed talent, you've broken artists. Like what does success mean to you? At this point in my career, I just really feel like success means, means happiness. You know, success for me now is about like being able to empower others, being able to make other people rich as shit, being able to like continue to thrive with, within the culture and keep going. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, I've been, I've been DJing 30 years. I've been in the game for 22. I like, I'm literally about to get my first Grammy. Like, I mean, I already won Let's it with go. Tyler, but thank you. Hell yeah, brother. It's coming in the mail on Monday Let's go. Like, for a mixtape series <laughs> that I started 22 years ago. You know yeah, what I mean? Crazy. Like success is just like, it's being able to do what I love. Like I was doing this when I didn't have any hot water. I got an artist, Seti Hendrix. And he has a song called Can't Go. And I tell us, I say true story. I said, before all this gangster grill shit, money was tight. Things weren't going right. I was literally about to move back to Philly. It's a true story. I, like, I was like, man, this shit, as much as I love it, it's not working out. Yeah. And I almost went back to Philly and who knows, you know, and imagine if that would have happened. Imagine all the classics we wouldn't have. Or That's crazy. To imagine think to think about, like, if I wouldn't have, if I would have gone back to Philly, like there would be no gangster grills. There would be no generation now. Like none of this would yeah. exist. So it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta bet on yourself. And, and that's what success is to me. I mean, to be able to travel the world and do what I love and provide for my family and my loved ones. And to watch Jack be like a multimillionaire and to watch Vert be like this fucking rock star <laughs> on another planet it's like yo I, I remember these kids when like they just were wide-eyed and 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 bushy-tailed you know so i love that's that. what success is to me i love that well last question to wrap it up uh if you could go back in time and give your 18 year old self advice what would that advice be and why oh that's that's easy for me <laughs> now the two of the biggest mistakes that i've made was when i first kind of like got on and became the man in 2005 i moved and I had a box of flyers of every flyer I ever had with my name on it. And by that time I had already started being in magazines. I was kind yep. of feeling myself and I moved and my landlord called me and said, Hey, you left this box of flyers behind. And I was like, ah, I don't need it. And I let him throw them out. 
years later, I had a lawsuit. There was a guy saying he owned the name DJ Drama and he was going to sue Atlantic. So my first two albums don't even say DJ Drama. They just say Drama. And my lawyer told me, well, if you can prove, if you could have proved that you been using that name for uh, this amount of time, yeah. you would have had a case. And I was like, fuck, I threw my flyers out. Just recently, I had a, a storage unit that I had all my records and all my memorabilia in that I, I literally had since 2005. And I had it up to 2020. During COVID, my phone got fucked up. The way I used to pay the bill got lost in the mix. They changed companies. Just recently, I went looking for the storage unit and they wound up telling me that they sold it off for $393.17. Oh my gosh. I'd been paying these people $22,000 for over 15 years. And wow. when I moved into my home in 2017, I could have very well easily went to the storage unit, got all this stuff and put it into my crib. So I've lost between the box of flyers yeah. and the storage unit with all my records, all my old photo albums. You know, I've lost wow. a lot of memories and yeah. things that, sorry to hear that, you know, would mean so much to me at this stage in my career. You know, it's the small things that, yeah, you know, I would love to look back on flyers of me from 95 and 96 <laughs> or old yeah. photo albums that I had like of Lauren Hill holding one of my mixtapes and all that stuff is gone. So I would have told my 18 year old self, yo, make sure you hold on to everything and keep everything and document everything. Love that. Well, drama, I know you're busy. You're about to go on stage yeah, soon. I sure. appreciate you so much for Absolutely, coming on the show, bro. man. Congratulations to you. Thank too. you, man. And all your success and all you've doing, man. I love to see it. I appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Thanks love. so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. Yeah. I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters, streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Plus.